Paul is chained. But the gospel is faithfully going out, so Paul rejoices. It's not about his chains. It's not about his condition. It's not about the delay of coming before Caesar. He, he wants these things to happen, but he rejoices in the fact that the gospel is going out and changing lives. It wasn't his plan, but it was God's plan. Paul helps us understand that joy is not about environment. In fact, Paul's plea is this. And, and it's hard to take sometimes, but, but this is what he says. He says, no matter what the circumstances, live like citizens of heaven, behaving like folks who have been changed by the good news of the gospel. So it doesn't matter what situation you're in. It doesn't matter what relationship you're struggling with. What does matter is just the opportunity to be able to let others see how the gospel has changed us. Last week, we focused on loving one another and humbly serving together. In fact, Paul said this, which should probably just blow your mind. And if you were with us last week, I'm not even sure how this sentence could be dismissed. He said, have the same attitude that Jesus had while on earth. In other words... I want you, Philippians, you believers, to behave and look like Jesus. <laughs> you, you take a breath. You, you wonder. The expectations seem to be so high but not if we understand sanctification. In our text for today, Paul is actually continuing his thoughts from verse 4. He was chatting with the folks from verses 1 to 4 and then used the example of who Jesus is and his humility from verses 5 through 11, but it's kind of a side note is what we would say. Then he jumps right back into it in verse 12. But before we jump into verse 12, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you just for the opportunity to come together as God's people. Father, we rejoice in the fact that we can do this. I guess the events over the past few years... um, helped us realize all of our privileges. And one of the privileges is meeting together and and coming together and praising and worship and being together as a family. So we just thank you for that. But we know, Lord, as we meet here in our air-conditioned worship center with PA systems and technology, We know that our world all over is worshiping you with not some of these privileges, 
We recognize, God, that our world's in turmoil. We recognize that there are wars. We recognize that refugees are hanging on for their lives. We ask you that you would do a special work, that you would allow the church to raise themselves up and be your hands and feet. Lord, it's hard for us not to focus on the tragedy in Highland Park. We read, we, we hear, we don't understand. It seems senseless. God, we pray that you would do a work in spite of the tragedy. That you would mend hearts and, and bring people to you. We ask that, Father. We ask you, Father, that you would be with some of our local brothers and sisters in the Converge denomination. We pray, Father, for North Point and for Emmanuel and for Orchard. Right now, they're proclaiming your word. Right now, they're making disciples. We ask, Lord, that wherever you send them, that they would represent you well. Strengthen them. Strengthen their teams. Father, we pray for our church. We pray that we would be light in a dark place, that we would be salt and light. We pray, dear Father, that we would be faithful in listening and obeying you. We pray even today, Father, as just briefly before I came up, I I met Peter and Heather, missionaries that we get to partner with who are in Poland right now. Well, they're here right now, but they are in Poland. I pray for them, Father. I pray that you continue to help them in their support and their learning of language. But more than that, that they would be able to partner with the churches there in order to use their skill set to further the kingdom. We pray that, Lord. We pray for all the kids who are downstairs and all the teachers and all the ministries that are going on. We pray, dear Father, that you would strengthen and empower now today, in some ways, Lord, this is a, it's a hard message because I believe we'll all be convicted. Your spirit is active, and, and we ask, Lord, that you wouldn't overwhelm us, but that you would walk with us this day. Open our eyes, Lord. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. I welcome you today, and and if you're newer to our fellowship, we've been studying the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippian church. Pastor Paul teaches us much about walking with God in this message in particular. He loves and he cares the church at Philippi. But today, Paul's words are strong. But they flow from a shepherd's heart. I I guess that's my way of warning you. It is. Because I think God has some different plans, not only for me, but for us as a church. So let's dig in. 
Turn your Bibles or your flat screens to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 12. I'm reading all the way through verse 18. And if you don't have a Bible, you can read it up on the screen. Paul says this, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing. So so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then, on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain or that my work was not useless. But Paul writes, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. Let me go back and focus on verses 12 and 13 as we begin. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. You know, understanding justification, which is freedom from the penalty of sin, and understanding sanctification, which is freedom from the power of sin, and understanding glorification, which is freedom from the presence of sin, are critical for every believer. Today, Paul helps us understand sanctification, which is the lifelong journey of becoming more and more like Christ. You've heard the illustration here that that as we walk with God, we as a hunk of marble don't reflect God very well, at least in the beginning. And God uses the Holy Spirit and our obedience and chips away things that don't reflect him well so that every day that we walk with him, we look more and more like Jesus. So in the very beginning, we, we don't reflect him that well. But as we walk for days and months and years, all of a sudden our attitudes and our actions start to look more and more like Jesus. Anyone coming to the cross is justified. Anyone recognizing that they have sinned, that they have fallen short, that their sin has separated themselves from God, and that Jesus loved us so much that he died on the cross in order to pay that debt for sin. Scriptures say that we are freed from the penalty of sin. But sanctification 
is about serving a new master, about living in light of this gracious gift of salvation, in light of our new position, in light of our new identity. Sanctification happens when we work hard and God works in us. First, let's look at the working hard part, our part. Before Paul exhorts, he commends the church. He says, my dear friends, well, I was with you. I taught you God's word, and you listened well. But now that I'm away, listening and obeying the word is even more important. Now, before we go further, I want to make sure that you understand what Paul is not saying. He is not saying work hard for your salvation. We attain salvation by faith through God's grace, not by any of our works or by working hard. So when Paul says work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, He's trying to say this, is when you and I come to faith, there's evidence, there's fruit, there are results when you come to faith. You are a new creation and it shows. You have new priorities. You look and you act differently. And the more time you spend with Jesus, the more you've let him well. So Paul says this, work hard to let your fruit show. Working hard is not trying harder to become kinder or more loving. It is working hard on staying connected because fruit happens. You can't make fruit happen. So many of you are familiar with the passage in John 15. Where Jesus, right before he went to the cross, had all of his disciples around him. And he used this illustration, an illustration that is so powerful. And, and, he, and he says this. He said, I want to help you understand how you will bear much fruit. I've spent the last three years with you, but I want you to understand this is so important. So he says in John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. You will show the results of your salvation. Then he says this, for apart from me, you can't do anything. What are you saying? Apart from me, you cannot bear fruit. Apart from me, you will not show the results of your salvation. You will look like everyone else without me, without staying connected to the vine. And then what's interesting is Paul helps us understand how to do that, and and it's obeying him. Obedience keeps you and me connected. What he's literally saying is, work hard on obeying God. Work hard on your obedience. 
As you read the scripture, as you listen to the scripture, work hard. Be diligent in obeying. You see, we all have a bend for comfort to passively coast along in our Christian journeys. The apostle urges this obedient church, this already obedient church, to work hard at obeying. You know, in a group this size, there are going to be folks that may not be part of God's family. There'll be others who are just kind of coasting through and, and, and they come to church or they read their Bible occasionally and, and yeah, it's a, it's a good thing for people to do. And then there are those who are walking with God. Those who are opening up the word, those who are listening, those who are responding. And, and what Paul is saying here is, you guys are really doing a good job. You're really a good church. You are obeying. But I want you to work hard on this obeying. Because it doesn't naturally happen. Perhaps the tense of work hard will help us understand the command better. Paul is saying that obedience requires continuous effort and energy, but it's only part of the action. That's the middle voice in the Greek language. Our part is being in the word and listening, but there's another part which we're going to look at in a moment. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear means knowing God. We spend time with him. It's a relationship which actually Paul's going to develop very deeply in chapter 3 when we get there. But what Paul is trying to say is we listen to him not because we have to, but because we get to. When you understand who Jesus is, how wonderful, how gracious, how loving, You want to obey him. You know he's wiser than you. He's smarter than you. You know he gives you power to do what is right. That's what's exciting. Sometimes we look at this book here as a book of rules, a book of prohibitions, a book of, are you kidding me? Who's going to do all this? When we find out who God is, this doesn't become a rule book or a manual. It becomes a love letter. It says, I just want you to know I care so much about you. The closer we are to God, the more we see that disobedience or sin is an offense against our holy God, against our Father. A rich relationship with God produces a sincere desire not to offend or to grieve him, but to obey, honor, please, and glorify him. It's completely different. This respect and fear will cause believers to pray earnestly for God's help in avoiding sin. Now, if we're honest, sometimes we'll try to find a a relational shortcut, some special diet to grow in Christ-likeness. You don't always want to spend time with Jesus. After all, you're busy people. But there isn't a shortcut for relationship, as all of you know, or a fruit 
We can't take a pill or eat kale or automatically turn into perfectly sanctified individuals. And this is why this is a hard message. We must work hard to do our part and let God do his. This is the daily challenge. It's daily obedience over a lifetime. We live in a fast-paced, fast-food, fast-cook, fast-internet culture. But sanctification is a slow process. We are often drawn to mega-conferences and flashy events. But God has called the Christian to day-in, day-out process of growing in Christ-likeness. It's easy to show a spark of enthusiasm at an event. It's quite another thing to live faithfully and consistently when nobody's watching. My prayer is that God would rekindle in us a passion for ordinary obedience to his word day by day following the pattern of Jesus. You know, some of you know I graduated from Wheaton College, and I transferred in as a junior, and I transferred in as a speech communication major. And so at the end of your education, as most of you know, you spend the majority of your time focusing on your concentration. So I was in classes all the time with speech communication majors. Well, part of speech communication is a field called theater and drama. Now, I don't know how many of you are in theater and drama, okay? God bless you. It it was just not my bent in school, all right? And so I was with all of these folks, and the very first fall semester I'm there, they're all looking to me and saying, Rick, are you coming to our play? And I'm going, how long is it? What is it? It's Godspell. Uh, you know, I, I, I might be busy, you know. And they pestered me and pestered me. So what I did is I went to the first showing. And, you know, like anything else, there's probably six or seven uh, production or, or episode. What do you call them? Uh, Thank you. What, what, yeah, nights in a row, okay? The play, all right? So I go to the first one. I am there. And I am telling you, it blew me away. I was at every one of the performances for the rest of that time. And the song that hit me, and I still remember this, was day by day. And, and if you've heard this song or you've seen Godspell over and over and over, it's like, come on, let's get through this. But honestly, I, I think they captured what walking with God is. Day by day, I, I, I pray That I want to see you more clearly. I want to love you more dearly. And I want to follow you or thee more nearly. And I look at that. 
And I recognized that it is a day by day by day by day journey. Now let's get to God's part. Our part is to walk with him, to listen to him, to be obedient to him. His part, he is working, giving us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. By God's grace, he is supernaturally working in us, creating a thirst for obedience and the ability to please him. We are God's kids working hard on staying connected so God can give us the desire and the power to please him. So the question comes, well, who is responsible to make us more Christ-like? Is it God's job or is it our job? And listen to this. Paul's answer is both. Both. He makes no effort to rationally harmonize the two and believes both are true. On one hand, sanctification lands in the believer's lap. On the other hand, it's of God. Believer's sanctification requires their diligent effort and God's intervention. It takes spiritual energy to walk with God, and it takes God working in us. The good news is that we are not expected to live this life of obedience through our own efforts. We can work hard on the results of our salvation because God is working in us now. The best illustration I can share with you on this miracle are farmers. You know, I'm not a farmer, but I kind of know what farmers do. They work hard and plant, right? And then they sit back and do nothing. And then all of a sudden, it comes. Now, I know as I've talked with farmers, this first part takes a lot of time. (laughs) It's a lot of effort. There's a lot of uh, tilling and planting and fertilizing and irrigation. I mean, there's a lot there. But then it stops. God, are you going to bring the growth? And that's how it is. So what are the results of our obedience? What does it look like? And here's, again, that's going to be a little bit of a shocker. Let's look at verse 14 and 15. So he sets us up. He says, hey, you're obeying. He says, hey, work hard out of deep reverence and fear. God is going to be working in you. Look at verse 14. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. It might surprise you to see that Paul chooses the avoidance of grumbling and arguing as his concrete expression of working hard to show the results of your salvation. If we're honest, I look back on my life. Is there a day that I've ever been alive that I didn't complain? No. 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 
Oh, maybe some are big complaints or some are small complaints. But the truth is, it's easy for me to complain. So, Paul, Paul, show the result. And this is the illustration you use? The biblical command for believers not to complain is evidence that the church is not immune from malcontents or complainers. Although Paul writes in the context of the church, complaining happens everywhere. Discontentment and complaining are attitudes that can become so habitual that they are hardly noticed or attributed to a personality. Oh, he's just a negative. He is just a complainer. In reality, every complaint a believer makes is against the Lord and is one of the ugliest sins. Let me say that again. In reality, every complaint a believer makes is against the Lord and is one of the ugliest sins. And complaining against other believers is exceptionally serious. In James chapter 5, verse 9, James writes this, Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters. I, I want you to know that specifically. God does give directions to believers when there are issues or problems among them. According to Matthew 18, there is a way to solve those. But one of them isn't complaining against each other. Believers' failure to willingly, even joyfully submit to God's providential will is a deep-seated and serious sin. John MacArthur puts it this way. Every circumstance of life is to be accepted willingly and joyfully without murmuring, complaint, or disappointment, much less resentment. There is no exception. And as you hear that, our hearts sink. You have to wonder why Paul makes complaining the example. Probably because it's clearly the opposite of the selfless attitude of Christ, which he just got through talking about in verses 5 through 11. Complaining and arguing is all about you. It's all about me. It's all about my honor, my power, my comfort. Living and serving together is hard, and it requires a lot of grace and a lot of forgiveness. Complaining is normal. Complaining is a temptation for everyone in a local church because people can't live up to the expectations of others. At some point, pastors, small group leaders, worship, greeters, or your ministry partner will disappoint you. What will you do? Temptation will be to complain. Paul also says that grumbling and arguing damage our witness. When our conversation with other believers or even among outsiders is filled with negative murmuring, we lose our distinctiveness. Paul simply says this, this is one way as you obey me that you will stick out like a sore thumb in your world. 
don't complain so that, if you underline um, words in your Bible, I, I would underline that so that. That is a purpose clause. What Paul is saying is this, don't complain. Because it then gives you the opportunity to be bright lights in a dark world. Living as obedient children of God, reflecting God well. Not complaining gives you and me a platform. Remember, God is at work in us, giving us the ability to shine in darkness. We aren't alone in this battle. God empowers his children to speak in a way that glorifies him and attracts others. Let's go on to verse 16, 17, and 18. Paul then just ends up this paragraph saying, hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I will not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share in that joy. Yes, you should rejoice. And I will share in your joy. Paul comes back to again. He's hammering this nail. Hold firmly to the word of life. Obey what God's word says. If you are going to, if I am going to be reflecting God well, allowing the Holy Spirit to chip away things that don't reflect him. Well, I must be in the word. I must open up the book. I must have a time where I read and listen and allow the Holy Spirit to convict and to encourage and to strengthen. Obedience is critical to Paul. He says it over, hold firmly, hold firmly. But I think as you go through this, you might misunderstand one of the phrases here. And don't misunderstand the phrase, then I will be proud, as a statement of boasting or self-exaltation. This would be entirely inconsistent with the whole letter in Philippians. Paul's pride will be in the way God worked in his life, the way God worked in his labor or service, and in the lives of the Philippians. Fruitfulness to Paul will prove on the final day that Paul invested well. He didn't run in vain. You see, spiritual leaders are to teach God's word. And believers who respond to the truths of God's word will bring great joy to the teachers. Specifically, every pastor desires the people under their care to love and obey the Lord without grumbling or complaining and to mirror Jesus with their lives 
in their words. Paul closes up this section reminding the Philippians of his joy in spite of the suffering. It it comes over and over and over again. How do you do it, Paul? How, How do you remain chained? How do you accept the delay in meeting Caesar? What is your secret? What is the special sauce? How do you remain joyful in spite of these ugly and lousy and terrible circumstances and situations? Even if is a conditional clause, at least in the Greek language, which refers to something that is known to be true. So let me help you understand this a little better by by saying it like this. Paul is saying, I am rejoicing because I am being poured out as a drink offering. Paul says, I am happy because of the sacrifice that I'm making. Remember, he's excited to see the gospel message go out. He goes, this is not something I'm bummed about. I don't necessarily like the situation, but but I can rejoice in it. All right? And then he says this, your faithful service is also an offering to God. Yes, there's times when it's hard. There's times when you want to give up. But what Paul is trying to say is, I'm serving God. I just happen to be in chains right now. But all of your service, all of your effort which he talked about earlier in the chapter. He says, that's also an offering to God. And I want you to share in the joy of service, like I share in the joy of service, so that we can rejoice together. Yes, the times are hard. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, there's not a response often that you want. But I want you to know the gospel's going out and lives are being changed. Oh, Let's, let's rejoice that God is being exalted, that the church is being changed, that you are reflecting Jesus, that we are being light in a very dark and perverse world. Let's rejoice. It's hard. So in spite of circumstances, there is joy in your obedience and pleasing your Father. The reward will come later. Let me wrap this up today. If I could put the whole message in a thought, I would say this. Paul implores. Paul is encouraged by the church, but doesn't want the church to miss out. (laughs) It just doesn't want us to miss out. He, he says, work hard showing the results of your salvation. Stay connected to God. Your fruit will show. Do diligence here. 
And you do that by obeying God with deep reverence, deep respect, and fear. Be a bright light in a dark world by not grumbling or complaining. You'll just stick out. I will stick out. And rejoice through sacrificial service rooted in the grace of God while anticipating the coming day of Jesus Christ. Not sure you all were here when we started this study. But one of the things I I shared with you in that week before we opened up Philippians, there's a verse in Isaiah 66, 2 that hasn't gone away for me. It seems like every day I think of it. Every day God reminds me of it. Every day it helps me understand and refocuses me. And the scriptures say this, is that I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts who tremble at my word. Wow. God says, you want to experience joy, you want to experience blessing. I I want you to grow in your humility. I want you to think of others as more important than yourselves. Their needs are more important than your needs. And to be less self-focused. I want you to be contrite. Understand sin. How devastating it is, how much it hurts me, your father. It shows your lack of faith that you don't trust me. And I want you to tremble at my word. I want you to understand this is me talking to you. This is me talking. This is God talking to me. This is unbelievable gift. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. And tremble. Tremble because this is so precious. Tremble because this is so amazing. And tremble recognizing that God will do what he says. I'm going to close in prayer. I'd like you, if you would, just bow your eye or bow your heads and shut your eyes, please. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know what I'm going to ask right now. This message has been convicting. It's been encouraging. It's highlighted some areas that that we as believers need to focus on. Even those who are who are obedient right now, that Lord, you want me to work hard on this relationship. You want me to trust you. And one of the things that are going to stick out, it will show me that I'm walking with you, is that I'm not going to complain. I'm not. I'm going to trust you. If God is talking to you today, I would ask you to stand up. If God is convicting you about something today, an an area of an obedience, an area of 
of sin, something that you need to confess. For me, I was overwhelmed. I stand with you, recognizing how I fall short and how much I need Jesus. If God is working, I would ask you to stand right now, and I, and I would like to pray for you. I would like to pray for you. Father, there's a group of us standing right now, and we are so dependent on you. Your word has gone out, and we realize, God, that we need you. We realize, Lord, that, that some of us are not working hard to show the result of our salvation. Our busyness has maybe gotten in the way, and we've justified even complaining because of bad circumstances. God, we want to be light. We want to represent you well. Give these folks the courage and the strength to work hard so that they might shine as lights. We are grateful, Father, for each and every one in this congregation. And for those who are watching online or listening, we we pray that you continue to work in your church, that you, God, would do something only you can do. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.